There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, politics. I hope that you're doing well. In this week's episode, I speak to Travis Alabanza and I ask them what three things they wish they were taught in school. Travis is a performance artist, theatre maker, poet and writer and their latest show, Overflow, is currently on or is about to be on at the Bush Theatre. We discuss gender binaries, conflict resolution and flirting. Very important topic. I adored speaking to Travis and I really hope that you enjoy listening. As always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Enjoy. Bye! Hello and welcome to Adulting. Today I'm joined by Travis Alabanza. Hi. After so many technical difficulties, we're here. <laughs> it was so funny. I so we had a bit of a technical hitch where I could hear Travis, but Travis couldn't hear me and we didn't know what was going on. And we initially tried this about four hours ago, whatever time it was. And then we just clicked. Travis had the page muted. <laughs> <laughs> so that's adulting completely not done to success I'm hanging up my boots now clearly I didn't pay attention to IT lessons in school oh but it was so funny I even put it on my Instagram story I was like my guests they can't hear me um anyone know where this might be and everyone was like telling me stuff and I was like no it's definitely not that um but it was simple and we've made it in the end so apart from being a technophobe like me um how are you <laughs> Yeah, I'm all right. I'm like enjoying the view from my desk today. I feel like that's the whole new ways you can like say how you are. It's like, what's the view for, like from where you're working in your house? Um, but I'm doing all right. It's been like, you know, a wild, a wildly boring six months, but I feel safe and all of that. So I'm, I'm doing all good. How are you? Oh, that's good. I'm I'm good. I found this second lockdown just a bit more draining than the first yeah. one. And I don't know why, yeah. because it doesn't feel as locked down as last time. But um, yeah, we're free soon. So soon. So, so soon. I'm like already thinking about the gym. And I wasn't even a gym <laughs> person before this. But now I'm like, I just... I feel like that's who I've developed as over lockdown. So I'm going to, I've got in my head that like, oh, okay, when I, when it opens, I'm going to go for a run on a treadmill because I couldn't before. And I was like, that isn't what I was before this anyway. No, but it's so true. I'm absolutely buzzing. I always like the gym, but I'm like obsessed with it ever since it's been taken away from me. I'm like, I've already booked my gym session for tomorrow. Oh my God, I love it. I'm so prepared. So um, before we get too into the chat, can you give us an introduction to Travis and your work and who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Travis Alabanza. I'm an IT technician. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I am an artist, a writer. I make theatre. So at the moment, I'm going to be going, leaving my home in Bristol to go to London tomorrow um, because my show is... The, my show Overflow is reopening Bush Theatre. So yeah, I make plays and I write stuff and I perform. I guess I talk shit online. Depends on where you see me, really. Can you tell us a bit more about Overflow? Yeah, sure. So 
basically I, um, I knew that I wanted to make a show that was talking specifically to the issue that I was seeing of how much in the papers they're talking about trans people and us in public space and particularly in women's spaces. And I wanted to make a show that was kind of our chance to have our newspaper column that we don't have back but on a stage. And so Overflow follows um, a trans woman called Rosie as she's in a woman's bathroom as it floods and she's recounting her life um, in women's bathrooms through this story. So she talks about the good, the bad, and it's kind of like um, trying to really hit the nail on the head about what's wrong with this discussion about trans people in public space and like to kind of give us a bit of that mic back. Wow, I love that. And yeah, this is even something that as someone that is is sitting in a very privileged space, I get this wrong sometimes as well because the mainstream media so often wants to focus on these really like sideline issues that aren't like the fundamental problems that are like more to do with kind of government and legislation. And um, you're right that the, the actual like focal points are just so often completely squashed on purpose so that no one is actually discussing what truly is important for people who are marginalized and oppressed by our systems. Exactly. And I feel like it's such a, it's an issue that so many people are scared to talk about or feel like they might get it wrong or stuff like that. And I feel like that's when art is the best place to come in because it allows the discussion to happen on a stage and like through drama and through like comedy and all these things. And, and so I've always really tried to like make sure that my work is an accessible way into like a contentious subject really. Mm. Also, this has just turned out, this wasn't planned, but into the perfect segue, because as we know this season, I'm asking people three things we wish we were taught, you wish we were taught in school. And your first one is about gender. And you said to me um, that I wish the lack of binary around gender was taught in school, that we were taught our options around gender could be ours and ours to choose, which I think is a really powerful one to open up with. And I wish that everyone was taught that as well. Um, when did you start to recognize that the, I mean, I'm sure that, actually, I actually don't want to put words in your mouth. I was going to say, I'm sure that you always felt like the binary didn't make sense. But when was it that you started to find language around it? And where did you learn that from if it wasn't in school? Yeah, I'd say that I was like completely the opposite. I think I was so binary in terms of gender from like a really young age to like 17, 18, because like, I was always gender non-conforming, like I was the cliche kind of kid, you know, loads of photos of me as a kid in like really over, like my mum's dress and red heels and all of that like cliche was definitely me. Um, but I thought that that meant that my only option was that I must be a woman. And that really stressed me out, you know, like all of my teenhood was spent kind of wondering in my room, like, okay, when am I going to not look? you know, I started going through puberty and I was like, this doesn't feel like what I signed up for. Um, what's going on here? And then I was lucky, like, and you know, because I was only presented the options of like, well, you you were born a boy. And so now you're going to have to go into manhood. And then the only options of trans people I saw were, you know, Jerry Springer shows where they'd bring us on as kind of freak shows, you know, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I'm I'm not this. So that must be it then. And then I was really lucky. I went to, God, this is so like, I went to California, but I did. I went to California when I was 17 for this um, youth youth program called Black Girl Dangerous. Um, 
uh, someone that was an older queer person could see that I was maybe trying to figure out some stuff and and said, oh, I think you should go to this like summer camp, basically. And I went and the first thing that they did at the summer camp was sit around and did their names and pronouns. And I went, I'm really sorry, what the fuck's going on? I don't know what this is. I had no idea. And then someone was like, oh, my pronouns are them, they. And my initial response at first was like, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what that is. And this person, like, bless them, they were really patient and understanding with me, talked them through. And I kind of realized, oh, wait, like, that's something that you can choose to do. Like, that's an option. They were like, yeah, I've kind of just opted out of feeling the need to have gender in, like, as part of my life. And I was like, oh, I feel so much more relaxed when I think about it. And so it was a real, like, 17, 18, I started realizing there were people that had already decided that they could basically make their own choice for themselves. And I was like, sign me up. (laughs) That's amazing. I find it interesting that because I don't think I had any awareness of transness at school and I wouldn't have even have known that like if I wanted to present as a boy that I could have done that when I was little. Where did that feeling of, did you feel safety in presenting yourself as feminine when you were little um, cause it sounds like you, like you, you were definitely still presenting, but, it, but what I'm trying to say is it's interesting that I, that you obviously didn't know about being non-binary or like gender non-conforming in its entirety, but you kind of were questioning about transness. So is that something you were kind of aware of apart from on the Springer show, like you mentioned? Well, yeah, I guess that when I was younger, like, I can't really remember it, but I can see photos. I must've just gravitated towards women's clothing and like, I was really lucky to have a mum that just was like, okay, here we go. And like, gave me the clothes that I wanted and, you know, let me play around and make shows in her bedroom. And I had this song called All We Need Is A Shoe that gets brought up at every single family Christmas because like, (laughs) I was like singing about heels or something. So I think, you know, there was no subtlety in anything I was doing. I've never been good at being subtle. So I think my mum was like, right, well, like, I'm either going to resist this or I'm just going to encourage and let them choose what they want and then I think then I got to secondary school and obviously that's when you realize and this is when I was thinking about the question I was like that's when it all changed because suddenly my choices were dangerous you know like I went to a a working class state comprehensive school you know I'm from a council estate you can't start walking around it suddenly doesn't become cute right like suddenly the things that you're being like oh my god this is so adorable this little boy is in a dress is suddenly being called you know, all these names and put in such, you know, two grown situations for them to be in. And so then it became a private practice, right? Like before I was doing it openly. And then I was like, oh, okay, how am I going to get through school? Well, not like this. So I started doing it all in private, you know, trying on what I wanted to wear in private, then taking it off and going to school, then coming back. And, you know, we just got, no, we still had the modem internet, you know, where you like poke it in and you can't be on at the same time so when it was my turn on the computer I would just google I think I googled like I don't know dressing as a woman and it comes up with all these Jerry Springer videos and all of that stuff and that was really my education I guess and so that's when I would have thought of the question I was like damn it would have been such a easier ride if our education wasn't in private in secret in shame to Jerry Springer, you know, that Jerry Springer wasn't getting the kudos for our gender, like, representation. Uh, now that we're talking about it, I don't even know how much we even learned about gender 
at all really we learn about the kind of like differences between or the perceived and the created differences between girls and boys and men and women yeah but I don't even know how much of the term like gender was even something that I was like I can't really it's weird because it's hard to remember what you didn't know once you know it do you know what I mean (laughs) but I don't remember any conversation yeah no I don't think we were I I definitely wasn't. And I think this is what I mean. It would change not just trans people's lives, but I think relationships between cis men and cis women would be so different if men were taught about uh, the way in which their gender can play out and be about, if they were taught that they could think about their masculinity rather than just like reactively enact it in ways that are violent, you know? Like, um, I think that if we were all taught that like our gender was ours, because I think that's what happens. Like, I think what I realized in secondary school is like my gender suddenly didn't become mine. Like suddenly it was all a performance. You know, you go into the canteen and I feel like everyone's performing. You've got like the sport boys that are like going to pick on someone because they want to make sure that everyone knows that they're really men. And then you've got the girls that are maybe feeling the pressure to live up to like standards that those boys then set. So then they're making sure to have a certain performance of like femininity and gender. Like I feel like we're all going into school and we suddenly have to like really perform something. And I feel like if we were taught about that performance, it would change it, you know? Oh, definitely. And I remember watching your TED talk, maybe it was a a while ago now when I watched, but you said something like, the thing is with gender is we've all been given something that we didn't consent to. Is that how you framed it? Something like that, probably. (laughs) I'm like, yes, maybe. Yeah, it's this unconsensual act, I feel. Yeah, it was just such a good way of putting it because, and I think you're right, like even I, it was such a big facet of my relationship with myself when I was at school and even played into like my disordered eating because everything was about attaining this like heightened level of femininity because I'm like a small blonde girl and that became my identity. That was what the lens that everyone saw me through. And even now I'm super feminine still, but it was just weird that it was like, as you say, I like acted up to that perception of me when actually like there would have been so many other things that I could have lent into if I hadn't then become obsessed with being this like little pretty girl that people thought that I was. Right. Right, exactly. And I feel that like you know, so we, we don't consent to what we are assigned at birth. And then for some of us, that's okay. And for some of them, it's not. But even if that is kind of okay with us in terms of a, I feel cisgender or trans way, then it's all these other things that you talk about, like, everyone is still trying to live up to not failing, right? And, and I think that we see throughout the world that if you fail at whatever gender you're being perceived to be, then you're punished or you feel like you're going to be punished. So that might be that you're a cis white woman that feels like they are failing to the beauty standards given to them. Or that might mean that you're a gender non-conforming person that's failing at either genders. But I think that we see from a really young age that, okay, like if I just stick to the rules and don't fail at this performance, then I'll be okay and be safe. And I think that if we learn more about gender, we'd learn one that like everyone's trying to get to something that maybe isn't there. And that maybe then we'd also learn that there's so much else that we can find joy in that isn't pursuing some rigid performance, you know? Yeah, completely. It's just the more you kind of like break down what like gendered ideas are, the more it just really just starts to like kind of fall apart in terms of all of the 
points of gender have value and we all tend to have certain things that we find important but the way that they're all kind of like pulled together to be like this is a man and this is a woman it all feels so redundant and it's weird that for so long it's been allowed to be kind of upheld as though this is the law and this is the truth when there's like it's it's all so kind of fallible like the, the strings that hold it together so fallible completely falls through the thing doesn't hold up and then god forbid maybe we'd have to find out what we actually enjoy when we're younger do you know yeah. what i mean like i think that I'll never forget that like when I was uh, when I was like 15, I think I started like being like, fuck it, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I stopped being like so obsessed with whether or not I was working as a man. I started just painting my nails. I started dyeing my hair. I started cropping my tops. I started doing all these things at school. And, you know, obviously it would attract a certain attention and, and not all of it positive. But I remember that like, when I was walking down the street once, someone that knew who I was from one of the other neighboring schools was in the shop with me. And he just whispered to me, he was like, where did you get your nail varnish from? And then I responded quite loudly with the answer. And then he told me to fuck off and called me a faggot and walked away. And I thought it was so interesting because in private, he was so inquisitive about this thing that clearly he wanted. But then when his desire was in public, suddenly there was all this shame. And if we were taught about gender and all these things, this shame wouldn't go along with our exploration, you know? Yeah, and we're seeing, like, just recently, like, with these conversations around Harry Styles creating all these really ridiculous conversations about, like, what masculinity is. And yet this has been happening forever with people like Bowie and, like, there's always been so many, especially in, like, music industries, so many people that are gender non-conforming. And then every time, like, there seems to be a wave of people being really shocked by it. And it's like, he's just wearing a dress. I don't understand why this is such a big deal. Literally, literally, you know, we've been here, we've been doing it. As long as there's been man or woman, there's been people being like, "Mm, neither buy, bounce or more complicated, you know? I do think also like with fashion, I always think this, like as someone who is, a cisgendered woman like the access for me when it comes to clothes is huge and I actually always talk about this with my boyfriend who's also he's a cis man and he's always like it's really unfair like you can wear a play suit shorts a skirt a dress you could wear dungaree like anything um and but when it comes to like people who aren't cis women like fashion is so restrictive and like even from a, like a non point of like gender nonconformity or from anything just from a point of creative outlet like it's really stifling and just I think that's kind of like a weird one of those weird things yeah so true I'm like sometimes I joke about with my other trans friends I'm like maybe I'm just trans because the male section was so boring like I just always like and then I'm like <laughs> maybe these men are so angry because they're cl- their clothes aisle is just absolutely depressing. Um, But I think it's like also so, it just shows how made up it all is because you go back to like 18th century and men dressed so much more flamboyantly or Mm. you go back to like when the heat, the high heel was created and it wasn't created originally with women in mind. There was men wearing heels too. You look at the color pink and that has transformed and turned into a highly gendered feminine color only in the last 100 or so years so all of this has been up for play and like we're currently in this moment and I use that to like remind myself that these things are always changing and that we've ascribed the rules to them so therefore 
we don't need to hold them as tight, you know? Yeah, I remember finding out when I first learned about, I did something about it at uni and it was saying like pre-Victorian times, like you just said, like pink was actually a really masculine color. And then I think, was it Queen Victoria or someone wore a pink dress and everyone was yeah. like, oh no, that's feminine color. And then like before, I, I think it was also Queen Victoria who when she went into mourning was like, no one's allowed to wear makeup apart from sex workers and thespians or something like that and prior to that men and women had both worn makeup and then after that happened for some reason it was only women that went back to wearing it so you're right it's like all of this stuff that we take as gospel and as if it's been true forever is just ideology that changes throughout the centuries which is also why it is so frustrating that there are so many fights for it every time because it's like We've done, we've We've already done this. Yeah, exactly. We've done it. We've got the ticket. But I'm like, even if I learned that, you know, even if I learned what you just said at school when I was younger, then maybe when I was trying on makeup in private, I'd go, oh, well, a prince has probably done this four years, 400 years ago, whatever. So I'll give a contour a go as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like stuff like that would have been so helpful. Like, and it's, I guess it's maybe because what's funny is the lessons they think they always teach us that they think are important actually are more in the masculine domain. So it's about the war mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. death and actually all the stuff that probably impacts yeah. culture is slightly more feminine and then is then less heavily weighted in the curriculum. So it's exactly. all kind of a, a mismatch of like misogyny and phobia and racism yeah. and all of that shit lumped in together. Um, so, I'm going to move on to your second one, if that's okay. Of course, So the second thing that you said was, I wish we were taught how to conflict resolve, how to apologize, how to get over things, how to maintain relationships, like actual relationship training, imagine. I love this because I think that this is such an important one to talk about because uh, I don't know, I find it really difficult admitting when I have conflicts in my life because I have loads of shame around getting things wrong when it comes to like relationships and friendships. And I wonder if that's, it's because of exactly what you're saying is like, I don't really know how to deal with things when they go wrong. Yeah, I think so too. I think that like, I think that our like culture is so obsessed with like discarding everything as soon as things go wrong. And I just like even think about how I guess in school we are taught to like say sorry but what I not think we're then taught about is how to maintain the relationship after like you know we say sorry and we allude to the other sides of the classroom or you're told that like oh if you don't like her then you know just don't go near her or you're told the night to just stay away and I was like I was thinking about when I had an argument at school when I was really younger and they just was like oh well if you two don't get along then just stay on opposite sides of the classroom and I was like, huh, well, that's the easy option. But like, what do we learn about when we're taught how to apologize, how to resolve that like making a mistake isn't the worst thing. It's like a natural thing. It's like a thing that's definitely going to happen. You're going to, you're a human and you're in this world. So you're going to fuck up. And so how do we learn how to not be afraid of the fuck up, but instead repair and care about the repair, you know? Do you feel like you've learned the art of conflict resolution now or do you feel like it's still something that you struggle with? Oh my God, it's still something I'm struggling with. (laughs) Definitely. Um, I feel like I've gotten better. I feel like um, I have gotten better at apologising and meaning it. But I feel like conflict resolution is still the thing that like every day comes up. You know, I'm lucky that I'm 
you know, touch wood. I've been pretty steady in my friendships for a long time now. But I think that's because we've all been committed to like not throwing away each other, right? So then if something comes up, it's like, okay, I'm not afraid of saying this hurt me. Um, You did this and I feel upset about it. And then this other person isn't afraid of going, oh shit, let me pause before I run or pause before I shout or pause before I think that I'm the worst person ever. Can I pause and go, okay, let me hear this out. You know, because I think sometimes like, what happens maybe because of how we grow up, like we do something wrong and then we're told about it. And our first response is to be like, I'm the worst person that's ever existed. And it's like, no, you can be both, you know, you can be a good person that did something wrong, you know? I, I definitely got the same as you. Like I've really internalized it. If someone says I've done something wrong and I find it very hard to separate like that from what you just said of suddenly going like, oh, okay, so I am literally the worst person. But I don't know if that's everyone. I think that's probably from like other things that have maybe happened in our past where you have like a, you're very quick to like self-doubt and have like negative self-talk maybe. I think that's where mine comes from. But it was interesting what you're saying about learning to say sorry and meaning it because you're so right that when you're little, you just get told to say sorry, but you never get told to be like, do you understand why this person is upset? Do you realize that you've hurt their feelings? And that like, it's a, it's because compassion is such a hard and like an exercise of empathy when you're angry. Like all of those feelings feel so complex to explain to a child. But I was actually talking about this in another episode um, with Remy Shade and she was saying that like, we've managed to teach children when it comes to this pandemic that they need to wear a mask to protect other people and that's the exact same concept that we need to explain to children in loads of other areas of life whether it's talking about how to not be discriminatory to other children like it's not about you it's about their feelings and she's saying these aren't too big for children to grasp just as adults we're almost too smart small-minded to accept that they can deal with those things and I feel like that's why we all grow up to be like really shit at dealing with certain things like conflict and then end up in therapy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My therapist is probably nodding on to this somewhere, but like, um, yeah. And I feel like also it's not even like, it's not our, our ability to say sorry, but I think it's also our ability of when we're hurt to also then not respond in this blanket rule of like this person now needs to leave everything. You know, I think about how so much of like, you know, I don't, I think so much of the conversation in the last summer was about police and, and prisons and all of these really important, big, big structures. Right. Which I was, I was really glad everyone was talking about, but I was also thinking about like, okay, how do we put that into our everyday life? Well, this might sound like a reach, but like, are we act, how are we policing our friendships? How are we banishing our friends when they do things wrong? When someone does something wrong in our life, are we sending them away to a different place of isolation for years and they're isolated from the whole group now because they've done something wrong? Is is that our decision? And obviously there's no black or white. There are some things that obviously you go, okay, I, I don't need to be around you anymore. But, you know, I've been, God, I'm, I'm on so many tangents. I'm so sorry, but I've been watching Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, obsessed. My favorite. And literally like I started it in the second lockdown and I'm I feel like in the first lockdown I was like loads of art galleries watching art online shows da, da, da. this second lockdown I'm real housewives of Beverly Hills all in and they'll have a they'll have a problem in episode one that's about like something so small but because they don't know how to talk about when they feel hurt it carries over the whole season and by the end of the season no one's talking no one's friends and it's from this small thing And it really made me think, lo, I'm using Beverly Hills as my thought practice, but it really helped me think like, fuck, this is what happens if we don't get to like 
hash out when we're upset that small things become big things and then people leave. And I don't think there's enough of us to say that we can leave. Like there's not enough people that are in our marginalized groups or in our identity brackets to say, actually, you've done something wrong and I'm now never going to be with you ever again or talk to you ever again. I just don't believe in it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. No, I think that's so true. And also, I think this is something I've learned in my relationship, but it's like so that you just have to say something as and when it happens. And it doesn't sometimes... I think it's also the way we deliver things is like it's learning how to be able to say to someone that thing that you did actually makes me feel really shit but I know that you probably didn't realize but I just want to let you know because in a funny way it's it's almost like um an extension of respect to like give someone the opportunity to change behavior because I hate I bet you would as well the idea of someone thinking that something that I did was like upsetting or like in some way intolerable I would be dying if someone kind of kept that information from me Mm -hmm. but for some reason we think that oh I just won't I just won't say anything it'll be better that way and it never is better out than in always (laughs) exactly and like that actually people growing I think is the most beautiful thing like I think about like some of my family around like my gender and my transness and all of this like if I discarded them the first time that they said something slightly like hurtful or said something that I didn't really line up to what I was thinking, then I wouldn't now see the versions of them which are so accepting, so loving, so celebratory, like my wider family of me, because I would have let them go at the first chance. But instead, it was like a real lesson in conflict of being like, okay, this is in conflict with how I'm feeling. This has hurts me. Can we work through this? And then what I've been able to see is like people from so many different generations who had come to terms and then accept and then love and then it'd be a nothing kind of thing about something that at the beginning was a huge conflict you know that's really beautiful now how do you extend that to like because that is the opposite of online discourse at the minute which is kind of like (laughs) one strike one strike and you're out like you're done but then also when it's someone saying something really terrible they're not out they're on like the front page of the newspaper the next day but yeah how much how much time and compassion do you have outside of your like family like is this how you view everything do you think that everything has got a bit too spiky yeah and I and I think that it's so weird because even to, it's so like it's so ironic that even talking about it because I know that this will be online I worry about what I will say about online culture da, 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 da. but like I really like this is coming from someone that I think four years ago five years ago was so invested in the call out I was so invested in like, this person said this and now I'm blasting them. And this was my form of like, um, justice. This was my version of justice. And I used to really do that. And that's not to say that one's better or worse. It's to say that that was not giving me energy or serving me or getting results. That wasn't changing anyone's mind. That wasn't allowing anyone to grow. Now, again, like it's not to say that there are not times when, damn, if people have said something, I completely get people's rage and I get people's 
outburst. And obviously there's always anomalies to the rule. But I do think what happens with online is this vicious cycle of someone from said group is not heard, then becomes popular and we want to hear them heard because they haven't been heard before. So then we put them on a pedestal that they didn't choose to be. That pedestal gets too high. They can't live up to that pedestal that they didn't choose to be on. They mess up and now they're banished off of it. And then we find a new person to do that to again. And it's not sustainable. That's not a way of like building equal opportunity and relationships because we're focused on someone being perfect. And that's the problem is if we're looking to all these people online as perfect, as like to be an inspiration, they have to be perfect. Then we're of course going to be disappointed when they show evidence of us, of them not being perfect, you know? Yeah, it's such a good analogy. And you're right. I also used to, it's quite, call out culture is quite like addictive because it also does, it, it validates you in some way because you're like, oh my God, I've spotted them doing something wrong. And yeah. like, I can tell them what it is. And I used to be the same. And then the more and more I noticed that, I'm like, actually, that, like you said, it, first of all, it stops them in their tracks and it means that like, they've then, that their kind of their journey has ended and that might even make them turn around not that it's any on anyone else it's like on every individual to be able to change and grow and whatever but I'm starting to feel the same way as you that actually that just doesn't help any part of the conversation and obviously it's so situation dependent and like depends yeah. how much of an obviously if it's like Katie Hopkins then she should just be she doesn't off need the, off the side. yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. She it is you're right it's situational <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, log out I wish she had the wi-fi <laughs> problems I'm having right now <laughs> I know she should just not be allowed on the world wide web I think she should just <laughs> yeah. have her membership rescinded from the online yeah and I think that I think again like it's this obsession that we have with binary of like a good or a bad person and that like we have forcing these people online and online world to not hold simultaneity that they could be like both a person that cares about justice and cares about liberation and all these things and also be someone that then fucks up. And I just am not, I used to be so invested in call out culture because I think that must mean that I must think I'm infallible if I'm calling out these people that I must think that I'm perfect then. Whereas actually I'm like, if we're all moving from a place of like, we're all holding all these things of good and bad and fucked up and wanting like, and fucking shit up in a positive way, then when we approach people, maybe we come with more compassion. Maybe we become with like, what is my actual intention when I see this person mess up? And sometimes I'll see someone fuck up online and I'll see the cycle of call out happening and I'll look and I'll go, you know what? I don't have room for compassion for them right now, but I also don't have room or energy to jump on a, a whatever train and shout about and shout into the ether about them. So I'm just going to text my friend. You know, you can take it into a WhatsApp group. It doesn't have to be on Twitter. You can say, oh my God, did you see what this person said? Piss me the fuck off. And that can be, that can be the energy out, you know? Yeah, I agree. Because it's it's also like, you're right, it's hard to have compassion for someone they've done something so wrong. But actually, I do sometimes, I am like, wow, they did not think when they said whatever thing it was that they said if, let's imagine that it was slightly wrong rather than something cruel. It was like they misworded something or they didn't understand a concept yeah and then when that spirals and it becomes literally like a witch hunt I am like oh fuck that is like no one should should be on the receiving end of of that kind yeah. of thing yeah yeah, yeah 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 but I think it's a conversation that like will take so long for people to listen to because I think the internet 
is not the best place for nuance. People don't want to no. hear stuff that's complicated, you know, and so they don't want to hear that you can hold both things. And so instead they just go, ah, delete. And I'm like, you know what? So I gave up a long time ago. I was like, you know what? This isn't the space where I can have these difficult conversations. Let me try and have them offline. And let me just think about what I can change, which is, can I be more positive online? Can I be more um, understanding of other people online? Can I not contribute to that kind of energy? Because I definitely think I used to. Well, this was what I was about to ask, because I imagine that like the fulfillment and the value that you get back from when you create your art and when you do your performances, it must be so much more than that quick snap of like, oh my God, I've been on a Twitter spat or whatever it might be because real life isn't like online like online is such a warped version how does your like real performance and I imagine like where all the brunt of your real work and your passion goes into how does that compare to when you're online what's your like kind of relationship with those two spaces yeah I feel like such a good question I feel like that I only because I didn't go to art school I didn't go to like formal training I owe online so the, the only reason I'm in these shows now or on tour or that is because I've built an online platform. So I do ne- definitely owe a lot of what I'm doing now to the internet for like giving me a platform when our institutions wouldn't. But it was always a means to an end for me. I was always like, I'm doing this so that I can eventually just do what I know I'm born to do, which is make art and what makes me happy you know, the internet doesn't make me happy. <laughs> so, so now that like, I'm lucky that, you know, most of my job and my income is doing art and writing. I find that when I come online, I'm not looking for the big heated debate or I'm not looking for the big argument because I've just fleshed that out on the stage. And so I'm actually like f- looking for the meme account or like I'm following like all of my all of my friends that are like really amazing beauty bloggers or all of that. Like I'm going for that. And then I really limit before I would spend all day scrolling all these political different discussions. And now I go, right, I need an hour. And these are the topics I want to go and learn about. I'm going to spend an hour on it. And then my timer goes off and I go off. And it's really like, it's had to be really strict, almost like a regime, but it's completely changed how I look at the internet because before there was no off switch. And now I can be like, right, we're all a version of ourselves here. Let me choose how long I go on it and let me leave, you know? Wow. That's how, are you a very organized person? Because I love that, that even though you're like, I'm going to look at what I'm going to learn about. Now I'm like, shit, I should do that. I do exactly what you just said before. And I just go down a rabbit hole and end up. Oh my God. So organized. Like my friends get drove wild by it. I mean, it's like helpful when we go on holidays and stuff, but um, I'm like ridiculously type A. Um, like today I was like, right, I need to learn about like HIV. I want to like fill in my gap of knowledge about HIV and women in a certain part of the world. So then I'm like, spend an hour going and reading about it. And then I'll come back and like type up on my laptop. Like, so I have these tabs on my laptop of like all these different things I've learned in different days. It's wild. It's very obsessive. It's bad. But without an off switch, it means that I just scroll, you know? So it needs, my brain needs an off switch. (laughs) 
Oh no, but I I actually kind of feel a bit jealous because I feel like I wanted to ask you this actually, but how has your creativity been in the lockdown? Because I feel like my, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like I used to feel so creative all the time. I constantly be making notes and like, but a bit like you, I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn about this and then I'm going to write some poems about it. And now I wake up in the morning and it's like my brain's just off. Like I can't, nothing comes up. Do you feel that way? Or are you still doing okay on that front? I was definitely until like two months ago I, I took a I took actually like a really long break and um I said to like everyone that I was working with I was like I'm just gonna like the first lockdown I just sat in bed I was like I don't feel creative um and it was weird it was really odd and I definitely think it's a lot harder because I think that like all the things that I need to be creative like the nightclub or bumping into other friends watching all my mates shows you know most of my week's before the pandemic would be like every other day going to watch one of my friends work, you know, and that inspires me. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely found it harder, but I think that a deadline helped. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When they called <laughs> and they were like, you've been on two month break. Can you write a play? I was like, well, I better get my ass out of gear. And it has helped. Um, but it's definitely hard. It's hard. It's hard. I miss, for me, it's the nightclubs. I didn't realize how much I'm inspired by like, going out clubbing <laughs> oh yeah just even like stories of being around other people and like being out in London and like going in Soho like just going to meetings I just feel like I got so much just from watching other people all the time yeah and that's gone you know exactly. I love like people watching so you know I completely agree it's really hard but then on the other hand I'm like maybe we're supposed to have because I'm the same as you kind of this lockdown I've been like half working but really like non-committally mm-hmm. and it's made me feel so guilty but then on the other hand I'm like maybe we're supposed to take a break do you know yes. what I mean yes I think that this is like a real especially for like I don't want to make assumptions but I'm guessing do you freelance like is this a lot of freelance work and stuff yeah 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 I feel like especially for freelancers like I feel like we've, this is a real chance for us to learn what our rhythm can be and maybe what we like, because I feel like so many of us are so used to just always working and not really regulating when we're breaking and all of these things. And I think that this, I'm trying to be like, okay, maybe now is a time for me to learn like how to be more generous with my rest, how to like not punish myself when I'm needing a break and that okay, why am I freelance if it's not to be able to choose my hours? So let me look at the hours that work with my body right now, which means that in the middle of the day, I never used to take breaks in the middle of the day. And now I'm like, in the middle of the day, I'll do two hours and watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills every single day. <laughs> oh my God, I love that so much. I've also been doing the same and just watching so much stuff. But I think I'm almost up to it on Real Housewives, which is devastating. Also, Wait, you're meeting right in- at the end? Oh my god, yeah, because I've been watching it for years. How, who's your favourite housewife, quick, quickly? So I'm in season seven. I've gone everywhere, like up and down with all of them. But I think my favourite's Erica Jane. I think she's incredible. Uh, she is amazing. So Lisa used to be my fave, but obviously yeah. she's not on it anymore, is she? Wait, what? Oh my god, Soz, that's why I <laughs> Wait, she does? No. I think maybe it's season eight. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Well, I'm kind of glad because I loved Lisa, but then... But then she's a dick. Yeah, she's been getting a bit wild, like wild. I mean, they're all wild. Lisa Renner, I can't even... Anyway, I could be talking... This is a whole other podcast. I could talk about it all day. It is the best, but also quick, I will say the last one, but also have you gone as far as to start watching Vanderpump Rules yet or not? <gasps> Wait, she has a spin-off. 
Oh my god, it's the best fucking show in the world. It actually might be better than Real Housewives. What that follows around her like restaurant and stuff. It's it's this restaurant staff and it's so fucking good. Oh it's you need to watch that as well. Okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm done. (laughs) Wait, okay, so the last thing, sorry, I got so sidetracked, was that (laughs) and I love this so much, I completely agree, is you said I also wish we were taught how to flirt genuinely would save so much time learning. (laughs) (laughs) So Please tell me how, what's your like number one chat up line? Or do you have any tricks of the trade that you can share with the group? I am so bad. My friends, if they, they don't listen to my podcast anymore, but if they did listen to this, they'll tell you I am so bad. Like just awful. <laughs> I think my, can't even think. Okay. Like my, my trick, it's not even a fucking trick. It's just not even, this is why, this is why I'm so bad. And so I need to be taught. But like my trick will be like to pretend like, that we have a mutual friend so that we like figure it out. And then when they're like realizing that we don't, I go, I'm really sorry. I don't think we have a mutual friend. I just thought you were really cute. And I wanted to start chatting to you. (laughs) So you just tell them, I love that. It's not even like something you keep up. You just do it. And then immediately tell them I lied. It's like, like, wait, like we'll both be at the bar. Like I'll wait for us to both be at the bar. Like if it's like a club or environment and I'll be like, Oh my God, don't you know? So-and-so. And they're like, who? And I'm like, so-and-so. From like so and so place, and I'm like, no, I'm like, are you sure? Da, 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 da. And then like they'll do it again. I'll be like, I'm so sorry, I just wanted to chat to you. I thought you were really hot, and they'll be like, that was fucking awkward. <laughs> the thing is, I think that's actually a really good trick, but I think you have to keep up the lie to make it yeah, work. That's what I thought, but then it, okay, one time I used to do it with the lie, and then the person and I actually went on like a few dates, and I then was like, shit. But I owned up to them that it was a lie, and then they were like oh, that's really weird that you started our relationship with a lie. I was like, oh, so, and now I've learned the hard way. But It's so difficult you know? though, because it's just like, what are people, there's so many things that can give you the ick when someone is like doing right. that initial flirting. Exactly. Are you good at flirting? Um, I don't, I, well, I think I must be because literally everyone I've ever gone on a date with, I've ended up going out with for about two years at least. <gasps> Okay, so that is a success rate. <laughs> I'm just a really bad serial monogamist, I think. I'm jealous. That's what I'm trying to aim for. And I am just the opposite. <laughs> I think that it's because I give, must give off a bit of like a homely energy. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And my pronouns are chaos. Like I just give off chaos. My gender identity is tornado. Like I just really think on a first date, people are like, homely is not what I'm going to get from you Travis at all <laughs> yeah but I love that so then you need to find the someone that is your like yin to your yang there'll yeah. be someone who just absolutely needs you but you also don't want to get with someone like boring that'll be really depressing oh no 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 no! I want someone boring um I've been with too many like I think I've always attracted like um quite chaotic vibes because I think people will like we'll meet on a tour or we'll meet on something and da, 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 and then we'll both be like zooming around. And then it's always just like too much tornadoes and like a thing. And so now I like, I want someone that is like so calm, settled in it, just very sure of their energy that they don't need to give all of that. So that then like, I can be the one that's whizzing around maybe. I don't know. This is probably why I'm still single. 
No, that makes complete sense because actually, even though what I meant by homely is like, I think they think I'll cook them a nice meal, which I do. And But I am actually definitely the chaotic one in our relationship. But my boyfriend is what I would have also deemed as like stressfully boring. Like he wakes up at the same time every day, which is 6.15, exercises wow. every morning. It's like yeah. in such routine. But it's actually the most amazing thing because you accidentally become like that and then Yes. He's always really stable, so I can yeah. have like wobbles, and he's like quite steadfast. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh my so God. you're right. It is boring as chic. Is there a gay twin of your boyfriend? Oh my god, he does have an identical twin, but unfortunately, he's not gay. <laughs> no way, he's an identical. Twin. That's so funny. <laughs> he is, but he's not gay, which is sad. Oh my god, Otherwise, we've lost one to the team. We did. That is upsetting. I mean, surely mathematically, one of them should be gay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a ratio somewhere. Uh, so they're definitely one of them's lying. I'll let you know. <laughs> to be confirmed. And if it is that, I'll donate Matt to your cause. <laughs> Thank you so much. Allyship at its heart. Literally, I've had him for three years. You have him for three. We'll pass him back. That'd be amazing. <laughs> but, but this is my thing. It's like I couldn't even imagine a three-year relationship. Like, that's why I wish they taught us at school. Like, I've never done a long relationship ever. And it's something that, like, I just have now been like, maybe I'm just not made for that way. Like, I'm definitely someone that dates multiple people at once. Or, like, you know, in queer world, it's a bit different. Like, sorts of people that are, like, polyamorous. So I'll be, like, the person's the primary relationships second partner. Do you know what I mean? I'm like that person and it works well with my time and rhythm, but maybe that's because I start with bad flirting opening lines. No, but I think this other thing is that like, maybe the reason that I'm fine, it's not easy, but have been in longer term relationship is because I'm so conditioned as a really like heteronormative person. Like it's almost like it's imbued in me how to do it. Whereas like, who knows that maybe I would have suited something some different setup better but who was I talking I think I was speaking about my cousin about this who's a gay guy and he was like it's interesting I think that when you're part of the queer community you're already outside of the lines so then all of the rules are gone and you're almost given more freedom when it comes to like love and sex and relationships because no one has any expectations or there isn't like there isn't a rule book where actually weirdly if you're heterosexual there is like a kind of a fucked up rule book so maybe it's not that you need a long-term relationship. Maybe it's that more straight people need to stop being so straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so true though. Cause I'm actually thinking this and like, I don't know if you do the same on interviews, you think about like, Oh, if this person was listening now, like what would they think you're like coming across as? Oh, I don't know. I get in my head a bit. And I was like thinking, and I just said, Oh, I'm not in a long-term relationship. But then I've had like, you know, there's queer people in different parts of the country or world that like for the last five years, every time I go to that city, we'll have really intimate like time together and shit and I'm like maybe that is a relationship and it is long term it's just not in the way that like like kind of what you were saying I was like oh actually you're right like it's not in the rules that we're taught but actually there's someone that I have had a relationship with for five years that all right I see once every now and again um but it's still a relationship in some ways you know that is the most glamorous thing I've ever heard. It literally sounds like you have like people in different cities and you're like, oh, we just, when I'm what? in New York. <laughs> International. But when I've been on tour for like, well, I started touring like four years ago and I was like, right, what is the best de-stressor after a show? Well, I don't really want to take drugs as much as I used to. So it's going to have to be dick. And so, you know, <laughs> I put the work, I put the work that I used to put into finding a dealer into finding the right dick. 
<laughs> and is it what's easier do you think <laughs> oh my god absolutely getting the drugs but what has the best yeah, health implications <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd have to worry, yeah i don't have to worry about chat up lines with dealers but um definitely long-term health implications i can say that the dick is going far better but yeah i think that's so interesting you're saying about long-term relationships i keep thinking about this all the time is that you're so right and also we have so many different means like so many different framings of relationships but you're right that we don't get taught like i keep thinking about this so i feel really happy in my relationship but you know how there's always been so many like conflicting things like relationships should be like this relationships should be like this even mm. when you're in it you're kind of like am I supposed to be with this person forever? Like, is my brain just, is this hormones? What is happening? Like, I don't, right. I, I even think like when it comes to the way that relationships work, we should have more of an in-depth explanation on like the psychology of love rather than, because we all just get everything from films, which is so yeah. unhelpful. Exactly. I think you're so right. Like there's so much, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I wish I was in a relationship. And then you're right. I see all these like blogs going about about it you know, an article on Cosmo, a meme. And I'm like, fucking hell, if I was in a relationship right now, I'd be constantly being like, shit, am I meant to be on this listicle of like five things that I'm not doing because I'm in a healthy relationship or whatever? It's overwhelming, you know? Yeah, I think I think just everything. I think on the one hand, we don't get taught enough in school, but on the other hand, we know way too much. Like sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I don't need to actually research everything that pops into my head, which is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So like earlier I had cramps, but like I've just had my period. So I was like, oh my God, it's not period cramps. What is it? And then I was Googling it. I was like, oh, I'm dying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, it must be death coming along. Again, third time this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad we can make this work. It's been such a giggle and such an enjoyable part of my day. Yeah, this has been so nice. I'm glad I just figured out how to unmute Google Chrome. <laughs> this was love. I love, li- I love living to- listening to... You've had some good guests on, so I'm gassed to be on this. I just love it. I've seen all my oh friends. Oh my God, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Also, Scott, you work with Scotty, don't you? And they've been on twice. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotty was my first... Um, he gave me my first... They gave me my first show ever. Uh, oh. credit. Yeah, so I I love Scotty to bits. They're just the best. Yeah, I've been actually, you know what's so funny? You're always in my diary to email you and I always for some reason forget because honestly for about three seasons I've been meaning to ask you to come on and I just always forget to email you. So I'm very glad to have had you on. Um, So for people, if they want to find you and can we come and see your show or is it already all sold out? No, you can come and see it. It's going to be, a lot of it's sold out, but there's some tickets still left. It's at the Bush Theatre. It opens on the 9th of December until the 22nd of December. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell people. Oh, I think I am. And I and it's being filmed and will be streamed online throughout January as well. <gasps> oh, my God. That's so exciting. Amazing. And then if people want to follow you, you're just Travis Alabanza Tra- everywhere? Everywhere, yes. Literally everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me and um, thank you everyone for listening. I will see you next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.